0: Welcome back to Best Book Forward, the podcast where I talk to authors, publishers, and book lovers alike about the books that have shaped their lives. Basically, it's like Desert Island Discs, but the bookish version. In this bonus episode, I'm joined again by Nina Stibbe. In the last episode, we talked a little bit about her new book, Went to London, Took the Dog, as well as discussing the five books that have shaped her life. If you've missed that episode, you'll find a link to it in the show notes. Today we'll talk a little bit more about Nina's books and learn more about her life as a writer and a reader, and we'll find out one of Nina's bookish secrets. Nina, thank you so much for joining me again for this special bonus episode. In the last episode, we talked about your new book, Went to London, Took the Dog, as well as the five books that have shaped your life. And today I thought we could talk more about your life as a writer and a reader. And at the end, I'm going to see if you could maybe share a bookish secret with us. Uh, but before we start, I'd love it if you could start with an introduction and a little reading from Went to London.
1: If that's okay. Yes. So this is my new book, Went to London, Took the Dog. Did you recognise where the title's from, Helen? No. It's it's a Kate Atkinson book uh, called Started Early, Took the Dog. <sighs> i'm really new
0: to her books i just read shrines of gaiety and i'm now working backwards because i just you're love doing that your one. thing
1: of reading not in the right <laughs> it's a thing it's, it's valid it's one way of doing it so this is my book um my diary of the year 2020 to 20 no sorry 2022 to 2023 sort of april to march or march to april whichever it was And it's my return to London after being away for 20 years and lodging with the writer Deborah Moggark, who wrote The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, amongst other things. And uh, I didn't know her, but I went and lodged in her house for a year and uh, stopped living in Cornwall in my family home. And so I'm going to read a few bits from early on. Packing for my London sabbatical. How many towels does one woman need? Too big, too small, plus two for the dog, plus one for swimming and a spare for guests. Do I need a spare for guests for swimming? What about books, shoes? Ugh. I wish I had the confidence of my son Alf, who takes one pair of pants, deodorant, headphones, wherever he goes, and it works out fine. Kathy Rensenbrink is very excited to hear of my plans. Her acupuncturist has diagnosed an overactive amygdala, e.g. she might worry about twisting her ankle or drowning in a rock pool on a beach rather than having a nice time. I'm going to move on to a different bit. 27th April 2022. To London to move to my new lodgings. Debbie, Deborah Mogark, the writer that I've moved in with, Debbie thrilled with the toaster that Vic presented to us both as a joint gift, as if we were setting up home together for the first time. To begin with, I didn't think it had a crumb tray, but it does. After showing me certain light switches, warning me about the fridge door and giving me a set of keys, Debbie left for Kent with her ex-son's dog. Sorry, her ex-son-in-law's dog, Cookie. A pretty ginger spaniel whose whole body wiggles when she wags her tail. I wandered about the house and tried to take it all in. Eva and Alf came round later for dinner, I lit the candles and sent a photo of us with our spaghetti and beer cans to Debbie, saying, Settled in already, thank you. And I imagined her thinking, that bloody lodger better not burn the fing house down. But she probably <laughs> didn't, because she replied, Oh, how lovely, hurrah. Eva and Alf went home. I did some unpacking. The grapefruit grapefruit soap I bought myself as a moving-in gift smells of pork. (laughs) 28th April, first day living in London after 20 years away. I forced myself to venture out, bad back notwithstanding. Otherwise, why am I here? The streets are strewn with rubbish that spreads from the molested bin bags piled at every street corner. People just walk around it. Is this a Camden thing? It's not London-wide. They hoover the streets in King's Cross. Camden Town no longer has an electrical repair shop or a fishmonger or a butcher or any meaningful shoe shop. It's really only a tourist attraction for people who want to buy trinkets and leather jackets and hang out with other trendy young people. And that's fine. But what if you wanted a toaster mending? And London, which used to smell of privet hedges antiperspirant, furniture polish, overripe melons, coffee and various detergent now smells almost overwhelmingly of weed, even in the morning. It drifts out of the windows, out of cars and from tables outside pubs and cafes. It's not an unpleasant smell and it reminds me of a certain azalea in my garden at home which I planted to mask an ugly bit of fence. It's not as if I used to stroll about these streets all those years ago, brimming with confidence, but now I'm like a creature who escaped the compound and is back, staring through the fence. Thankfully, I've made a plan to have Alf's coffee break with him, and I walk over to Sam's cafe in Primrose Hill, and there he is, white T-shirt navy apron. "Okay, Ma, he says, and ushers me to a table in the sunshine, brings us coffee with little leaves in the foam that he's drawn himself, And the others are laughing because they're more like jellyfish than leaves. And we share a slice of raspberry cake. And it's all I can do not to cry. I tell Alf I'm writing a character who regularly pulls the cutlery drawer and other kitchen drawers vigorously all the way out so that the spoons and forks clank in their compartments and that the other characters wince every time and worry about the mechanism giving out. Nightmare, says Alf. I realise that I'm very against dessert spoons, and unless I'm eating cornflakes, only really like a teaspoon, and that this foible is me at my fussiest. I'm not enjoying Debbie's cutlery, chunky tarnished silver or EPNS, and have borrowed a set from the cafe. Called in to see Mary Kay, but she was having a bath or a massage, something upstairs anyway, and I wasn't invited in. I that I
0: love that. It's so good. It's such a
1: great. It's hard to know what bit to write, to read because it gets it gathers pace and you need to know who people yeah. are. No, it's brilliant and I
0: love it actually you just brought it back to the packing. But you talk about packing is one of my life
1: horrors. I can't bear. <laughs> it's it's I mean my son genuinely takes a pair of pants some headphones and a book. Yeah and 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 um, is there one other thing he takes but it, it works out great it's fine
0: yeah no I always pack like I've, I'm going expecting a real problem like I'll have if I'm going for a weekend I'll have
1: like 10 pairs of pants like why yeah <laughs> what might happen well actually I have to have a lot of pants because I sometimes wean myself so I do need so pants I think we can be forgiven for taking a lot of pants Maybe I'm anticipating Alrighty. what's going
0: to happen <laughs> <laughs> in the future. So in the last episode, you talked about how important diaries are for you. And you said a couple of things that I just thought were so lovely. And you're saying, um, If you look back at your diaries, it will delight you. And it's like a present to yourself, which I just thought was so lovely. And I'm gutted that I haven't sort of diaried more now. But when you read your diaries, it's a really lovely mix of like, obviously you have this circle of literary friends who are all amazing and you sort of get a glimpse into that world. But then also, you know, there's the sort of day-to-day stuff of, you know, what's the dinner or what to pack. I know from just talking what we, before, you know, that this was your genuine diary, but how do you sort of balance that to sort of keep it interesting?
1: Um, I think that the two things you just... Said as separate issues, the sort of literary people, the characters mm. uh, um, that I'm writing about, that that I encounter and that crop up naturally in my life, and then the little kind of tiny trivial details. I like those things together, mm. so I love to write about Nick Hornby or bumping into Lionel Shriver or uh, Satnam Sanghera, but I I don't want to talk about their sort of controversial piece in the newspaper or their cutting edge television techniques. I want to write about Nick Hornby um, vaping and its custard flavour, or I want to write that I've finally thrown away Satnam's loofah. So I like the two things together. Mm. And I and I think that came to me when I accidentally, I was doing it in my letters uh, in Love, Nina, that I never talked about Alan Bennett as this uh, brilliant writer uh, or, or even Jonathan Miller, you know, um, his new uh, production of Rigoletto. I talked about that none of them could reverse park or, you know, Alan Bennett would turn up with a salad that I didn't ask for. And I've done the cooking. Why is he turned up with watercress? So it's the two, and I think that's what people liked about mm. that book. And obviously it's what I like because that's what I was writing. So instead of trying to find literary things to say about these literary people, I think what you and I both like is uh, are the things that, um, you know, what they had for dinner. Mm. The fact that Nick Hornby's got loads of different uh, varieties of breakfast cereal in his cupboards. I think that's what people want to know. Mm. Recently, I I was asked to um, offer a question, give a question for Paul McCartney on a podcast. I wasn't on the podcast, but I was chosen as somebody to give a question. And I only thought about it for two seconds. And I and I, my question was, what's your favorite food? Because all the stuff about how he wrote yesterday and what it was like working with John Lennon, we kind of know that stuff. Mm. And Other people can do that. I want to know what he eats. And do you know what his favourite food was? Linda McCartney sausages. (laughs) I think he does really like those. We all like those. But no, his favourite is a toasted sesame bagel with hummus on it. Oh. He loves that. Oh, you wouldn't yeah. think that, would you? But it, is, yeah, yeah. it? There is those
0: little observations, like when you were just saying about teaspoons and cutlery and things. I think like when I'm reading, I yeah. uh, went to London. I was like, I mean, we left London, I think about 11 years ago to move outside. And it was like those sort of observations of when you're coming back that just sort of makes it really relatable. But if I think yeah. about sitting down and writing my own diary, I think it would just come across
1: really mundane. <laughs> Yeah, but it wouldn't be. And, and and we you must get out of that mindset because what's mundane today, um, you saying, you thinking, Oh, I really don't like big spoons, I'm gonna start using a teaspoon for mm. everything. You you'll love it in five years time or yeah. ten years' time. You'll go, Oh, how funny I was. Yeah. And you know, we like looking at pictures of ourselves and going, oh, I remember that jumper. I remember those glasses. And it's it's amazing what you don't, when you try and remember, it's hard. It's, it's, a, it's a lovely thing to do, keeping a diary. Mm,
0: yeah, no, you have inspired me. I have always done this thing where I have like random notes in my phone of, more things that, like particularly the children when they were younger things they'd say and uh mm. you know when kids say funny yes. things so i've got like loads yeah. of sort of notes or you know if i've been with my sister and something funny has happened i've got all those it's not really a diary yes. but i love to keep and it. if
1: it's in a diary it's it, it's doing the way you're doing it, it's great i mean there's nothing wrong with that but it'll, it'll just disappear. Mm. You, you won't be able to access it. Whereas if you keep a diary, the other thing is we all have these phones now, most of us, and they have these notes functions. So my diary, um, the book we're talking about, I did start off just writing it at night, in a, in quite an ordered way. But then six months in, when I knew it was going to be published, I, I couldn't miss anything. I, I mean, it, it wasn't that I got very contrived or anything, but if something happened, I wanted to make sure I recorded it. I became very um, uh, driven. And so I was keeping the diary not just at night, but I was keep making notes during the day. Like today, I've made a note about you interviewing Heather Morris because <laughs> something funny cropped up. So I've made a note of that because I want that in my diary. So I've, I've nicked that. <laughs> And if I didn't write it down, I've written it down here and I'll make a note on my phone when Mm. we finish this. And if I didn't, I wouldn't remember it. Mm. So I say your diary should be an ongoing thing that you do, uh, that we do, and... You know, you drive past someone with a tote bag that says with great brows comes great responsibility. You won't remember it later. Mm.
0: So write it down. I'm going to level up and get myself a diary. I just had a thought pop into my head, actually, of my sister saying she had a yearly planner that I think she got in 2020. And she wrote in that. And so she was looking back at sort of pandemic life. And I was like, oh, I'd forgotten that. I'd forgotten we did all this, actually. And
1: that's a planner. So that's not even. Mm. And the the, the equivalent for me is I found a load of checkbook stubs. Mm. And I was trying to explain to the kids what they were. And my oldest could remember. She went, oh, yeah, I do remember checks because you sometimes send them to school. And so I read through the, the stubs. Yeah, uh, you know where you wrote what the che- you know do you, you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, book. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and it and one of the checkbooks had every month a payment to Habitat for a sofa that uh. me and my flatmate bought on higher purchase. Do you uh, remember hire yeah. purchase? So we went and got this sofa and we paid fifty quid up front and then we had to pay a tenner a week for a year or whatever it was. And so it would say, you know, it would say Camden Lock mug, you know, $4.99. And then then Habitat Sofa. Because I was thinking Habitat Sofa? Habitat? Well, how many Habitat Sofas? Oh, it was on their higher purchase. And then I'd have to, you'd have to put it in an envelope and send it to, to Habitat. It's just odd. Anyway. No, but it's lovely
0: because I guess you're right. Like... It's the
1: same thing, isn't it, as the planner? Mm. It's the same exact thing. But let's not rely on checkbook stubs and planners. Let's actually do it.
0: Yeah. No, that's that's a good idea. I shall level up then and get myself a diary. And uh, yes, we'll see how we go. Um, so talking about diaries, if I had some magic powers... And I could give mm. you anybody's diary if you would have a good old read of. Whose diary would you want to get your hands on? Their real on? diary that they were writing Their, their real intimately. diary, yeah. All their secrets. Gosh. What's and all?
1: <laughs> um, well, I mean, I could see that somebody, a good person would say, you know, Keir Starmer or <laughs> Prince Charles or the Queen, you know, and have an interesting outlook. But actually for me, I'm so self-obsessed I'd probably say I'd love to read the true thoughts of my landlady, Debbie, who I lived with for that year, and see what she was really thinking of me. Because she had to put up with me in her house. She wasn't there all the time. That's part of the reason she wanted a lodger, because she was away much of the time. But when she was there and I was there and I was sort of you know, grinding coffee beans or wearing horrible fleece trousers, I'd love to know what she really thought of me and Peggy. Because I always thought she didn't really like Peggy very much. And I'd love to hear her. Oh, yeah, I don't think she took to Peggy. In fact, she's admitted it.
0: Yeah. Stunned silence there. Sorry. Well,
1: Peggy's not very cuddly. And Debbie's used to dogs that will get into bed with her. She babysat Peggy a couple of times. And I think she thought they'd be cuddled up on the sofa, watching, you know succession in front of a log fire. And actually Peggy likes to be near you, but not touching. Mm. Whereas Debbie mm. likes to be touching. Anyway, I'd like to know what Debbie thought of me. Um, but having said that, it reminds me of the time my mum, years ago, when I was a teenager, we went to visit somebody, I won't say who it was. They weren't famous, but they were, you know, someone and <laughs> in the family. And they the people we went to visit, popped out. This is, it was hilarious. We went around there. So it must've been 1980 or something. We went around to these people's house and we were having dinner with them. And when we got there, at the time we didn't realise how funny this was. They nipped out to get a kebab for supper for us. Um, So that's how important we were to them. They (laughs) nipped out to get a kebab for supper. And while they were out getting the kebab in Kilburn... My mum read one of their diaries. She looked around the house and she picked up a diary and read it. And it said, and she came, she wandered back into the living room. She went, Oh my God. She went, Listen to this. And it said, It said something like, Oh, fuck. <laughs> Elspeth's coming tomorrow, dreading it. What a nightmare. Oh. <laughs> It was awful. And I said, Well, mum, that's your own fault for reading it. But then also, my flatmate, a few years after that in the 90s, my flatmate lived in the flat downstairs from me. We had flats underneath, you know, above and below. And she had, a, she took in a lodger in her flat and she stupidly read the lodger's diary. <sighs> oh. And it was my, I shouldn't say, I'm going to say it, Circle of Trust. <laughs> it was my friend Stella and she read it. And the lodgers, it was a couple, They, the, the woman of the couple referred to Stella as Frankenstein. And, <laughs> and I said, You shouldn't have read it. So maybe I don't want to read Debbie's. I mean, can you imagine? I see,
0: you're made of stronger stuff than I am because I oh, wouldn't want to.
1: Powers, do your magic powers make it legit that I read it? Because the thing is, it wasn't legitimate that my mum read that yeah. person's diary, it wasn't legitimate that Stella read her lodger's diary. But they did. But if it was legit for me to read Debbie's diary, like she mm. didn't really mind.
0: Yeah, I don't think I would trust my magic powers. I feel like this is probably opening up a dangerous, dangerous world potentially,
1: isn't it? Oh, Ignorance okay. is bliss, right? Yeah. Okay, well, I'll just read your diary. Okay. In the run well, I can get my- <laughs> oh, my God, yes. I'm interviewing me Stibby. Oh, what a nightmare. Help! <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh um if we i'm going to try the magic again but slightly different if i could transport you back in time then to mm. the nina who just arrived in london to be a nanny what advice would you give that nina as she is starting to write those letters and become a successful published
1: author i'd say when you're writing those letters um make yourself a bit sound a bit cleverer <laughs> stop being horrible about Thomas Hardy and Chaucer. Um, I'd say um, when your boss, the editor of the London Review of Books, when you tell her that you love the Secret Diary of Adrian Mole, age thirteen and 30, thirteen and three quarters, when she says, "Oh, if you love it that much, why don't you review it for the London Review of Books?" Don't say, "Oh God, no, I'm not doing your work for you." <laughs> Say yes, I'd love to, and have a glamorous career in books. Yeah, I, d- I actually did that. <laughs> I thought, blimey, what more am I supposed to do? I already do the shopping and taking the kids to school. Now well, I've got to write uh-huh. the bloody reviews. <laughs> That's hilarious. Doing an enormous, lovely, kind favor, and having great faith in me, but I was just an idiot
0: you're young and you were looking at different priorities yeah. in your life maybe
1: yes
0: <laughs> you were trying to stand up for yourself without sort of looking yeah. at the bigger picture well, unless it's
1: completely unnecessarily
0: <laughs> so we talked about your desert island books We had a lovely chat about that but I'd love to know a little bit more about your reading life so who what sort of books do you like reading do you have any auto buy authors
1: yeah, um, the authors I love are people like Elizabeth Strout and um, and Tyler, and books where you sort of get lost in a world and it's sort of quite forensic. I like that those very close looks at people. She is absolutely brilliant. and she's massive in the states, I think, really, really massive. And and she's a bit of a, has been a bit of a slower burn here. I think she's, I to say that, but I think she was shortlisted for the book Prize uh, uh, a year ago. <laughs> so I don't think she is, I think she now is really gathering pace here, mm. which is good. Um, I love long, detailed, not too overly plotted books by and about women. So a book that I've loved recently and would recommend to anybody is Lucy Ellman's Ducks Newburyport. Report. Mm. It's a very, very long book, and all the reviews just went on and on about how long it was because I think it's a thousand pages or something. And they say it was one long sentence. Look, forget that it's long, it doesn't matter. It's good that it's long. It's extremely funny, really clever, and uh, uh, utter delight. So I love her, and she wrote a book of essays recently as well which I I love. I I love her brain. Mm. Um, I always buy David Steris, whatever he publishes. He writes a lot of essays, as people will know. Uh, But he's also got two, maybe even three volumes of diaries out. I've read two volumes of diaries. And they go right back to his youth when he, before he was a famous published author. So they're very brutal and candid. I think if you're you're faint-hearted, maybe start with the essays and ease yourself in. Um, but I love him. Who else? Let me just turn around and have a look at my, my bookcase. I love Lydia Davis, who writes very, very short stories. She's very, very clever. Um, um, blah, 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 blah. A novel I loved fairly recently that is an, an, uh, an old classic written in the, the very early 1930s is a book called... The Fortnight in September by um, R.C. Sheriff. And it's about a family going on holiday. And it's a bit like an Anne Tyler in that it's just this family and they go on holiday for a fortnight to Bogner on the train. Mm. And that's, that's all it is. Nothing much happens. For me, if somebody says, here's a new novel by so-and-so, nothing much happens. Yes, I want that book. Because it's all about the characters. Yeah, I love characters. Mm. I mean... I, I like a bit of a yarn. I loved another book, a favorite of mine is um, the one by Ishiguru about the Butler uh, Remains of the Day. Mm. So it's a butler going on a, on a sort of a car journey to meet somebody and we we sort of he he's thinking about his life and we sort of look back at his life living with this uh, very rich posh family. And again, it's the early 30s. I think I like the early 30s. Mm. Interesting. Um I I read another early 30s book called Vera by Elizabeth von Arnim, a book that sort of anticipates Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. So it's about a woman, a young woman who marries an older man who is a widow, uh, a widower, and sort of the atmosphere of this sort of specter of this previous wife and so on. So uh, yeah, There's a selection of my favourites. I can feel Um, the TBR growing (laughs) as I'm wanting to buy more.
0: So finally, Nina, just wondering, do you have a bookish secret that you'd like to share with us?
1: Yeah, I mean, I saw that you were going to ask me this and I didn't know whether it was, you know, when I was a book sales rep, I always used to do X, Y and Z in Foyle's bookshop, which I could have told you about. But then I thought, no, this is, a, this is a podcast for book lovers. So I'm going to share... I'm going to sort of share a bookish secret, which is there are, there's an author I love who's written two books about the same character. And he is, I think, underappreciated. Hmm. I, 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 I always... Feel funny saying that because it, it, you, he could hear me saying this and say I'm not underappreciated. I'm very famous. Thank you very much, <laughs> but I don't know many people that know of him, um, and so I want to spread this little secret. Okay, uh, the author is Paul Ewan, spelt E W E N, and the first book was called Francis Plug: How to Be a Public Author. And the second book was called Francis Plug, Writer in Residence. And uh, I don't know exactly when they were published. Um, Probably the first one was probably about eight years ago. And the second one was probably about three or four years ago. And he's a contemporary writer. And the books are very, very funny. And, And the reason I wanted to talk about them is because... People often say to me, there aren't that many funny books. You know, f- funny books are hard to find. And I say, well, yeah, but what, have you read Francis Plug?" So there you go. That's my bookish secret. Very funny, very clever, utterly delightful. And there are two of them, blend of fact and fiction. In the first one, he's trying to learn to be a public author. He's not published yet, this character. But he goes to book events and he really does go. So when he talks about seeing Hilary Mantel or Margaret Atwood, <gasps> he really is there. Mm. And so what happens really happens. But do you see what I mean? Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a really clever blend of facts and fiction. And when he's... The second book, which is Writer-in-Residence, he's at the University of Greenwich as a writer-in-residence, and he really was there. Mm. And they're both, they're both hilarious I reviewed the second one. I don't like reviewing books at all. I don't, I don't have strong enough opinions or I don't feel confident about my opinions. Um, but I couldn't not review it. So I reviewed it for The Guardian. So if anyone's interested, if you just Google me in the name Paul Ewan, you'll find the review and I talk about both books. And I think he's a comedy genius and I think he's underappreciated. So that's my secret.
0: Well, I think that's a great secret and we should definitely spread the love for him. And I will pick those up because that sounds really interesting. Good. Nina, thank you so much. It's been so much fun to talk to you. I've just loved every minute and I'm so grateful for your time.
1: Well, I've loved it. I've really enjoyed talking about books and I hope that everyone enjoys hearing what we talked about. And I hope that um, book sales for my favourite books go through the room. Yeah, me too. And, That'd be amazing. <laughs> and thanks so much for having me. It's been really fun. Thank you, Nina. Thank you.
0: I hope that you've enjoyed this bonus episode. And if you have, I would be so grateful if you could take the time to rate, review, subscribe and tell your bookish friends about it. All of the books that we've talked about today are linked in the show notes. I'll be back next month chatting to another author and I really hope that you'll join me for that one too. Thanks for listening and take care.